Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Have you ever felt like the cards were stacked against you? Is there something bigger than your own ego that drives your daily choices? And what does it mean to live your life with a clear mission? Many guys say they're willing to do whatever it takes to create a certain outcome in life. But what they really mean is they're only willing to do whatever it takes as long as it doesn't involve too much risk or make them uncomfortable. Tony Bonici is here to tell his inspiring story about how he was treated like a dumb kid, how he learned to game the public education system, how he built a seven-figure business, and then walked away from it all to live a bigger mission in life. I wanted to talk about um, whatever it takes. That's what I've gotten about you. I've known you for a couple of years now, and I've learned about these different phases of your life, the challenges you've had as a as a young man or as a boy, I should say. Then uh, you know, professionally, then starting a family, then making a transition uh, into coaching. And I just what I've gotten about you is that you're going to do whatever it takes in there, and that's what I wanted to draw out today. I don't think you need to do anything special other than just kind of share your story in there. But that's what I've always appreciated about you and, and wanted to draw that out today. Um, I would love that we would just kick off where you started as a boy. You had some challenges as a boy. What, what were those challenges that you had as a boy? Other than being funny looking. Yeah, yeah, other than funny looking. <laughs> um. <laughs> By the way, I imagine we're going to give each other some shit through this interview, so I'll just, I'll just lay it out there. Thank you. Thank you. Please do. And back at you. Um, yeah. So, uh, back in, um, you know, school, I went to public school and, um, that, um, I, I I'm dyslexic and ADD and back in the seventies, they didn't have those terms. So, um, being put into a, a public school system that they wanted you to be in a certain way and learn in a certain way that, um, you know, I was looked at as dumb, stupid, artistic, um, couldn't, couldn't hold attention and tossed around, pushed around, uh, by the system trying to figure out what to do with me. Okay. 
when you talk about whatever it takes that for me that really learning um, how to get through the system as best as I could um, and still uh, look good, you know, uh, um, was uh, what, what my goal was. What do you mean um, by that? So you had system. to, yeah. So get through the system. What does that mean? Get through, you know, just basically get through school. Yeah. To get through school for, in my mind, I uh, needed to get a, a high school diploma mm-hmm. and, um, and do it with a, uh, a, a acceptable, acceptable grade point average. And for me, that was a, um, a B average. Okay. So in your mind, you're thinking, all right, well, I know, I mean, what were you thinking? Did you believe this stuff? Did you believe what they told you that, or, or how they treated you? Like, were you saying, well, I must be stupid or I must not have it together? Was that, what was your mindset at the time? Trip, it was that I was a piece of shit. I didn't, um, I was dumb. I didn't belong. You know, I come from uh, uh, being in an upraising where the, the home uh, life was really about, you know, deeply loving and deeply caring and living in your body and non-manipulation or um, that sort of thing. So I was beating myself up throughout the day as, you know, when the teacher would ask you to come read in the front of the classroom, Okay. you know, and that terrified me. Right, right. And so you were believing this stuff. There must be something wrong with me. I am stupid. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, wait a second, I know I'm not stupid. I'm just having a hard time here. You were believing basically what others were projecting onto you. Yes, I took it as truth. Okay. And yet there was still this part of you. I guess that's the part that's interesting to me is like there was still a part of you. You didn't give up. There was still like, I'm still going to get through. I'm going to get my high school diploma. I'm going to I'm gonna move through here. I'm going to have a B average. Like you were still, did, were you that clear? What, at what point were you that clear that that's what you were going to do? Boy, that, that brings me back to when they put me into an uh, autistic classroom at um, third grade or fourth grade. And um, it brought me to, to a big fuck you of that. Uh, this is a, uh, I'm going to, um, I'm going to prove you wrong, even though you're saying I'm that way. Uh-huh. So it was like, um, I needed to, uh, push against what I was uh, being like the projections or the, the, the things people were telling me, So I pushed back against it. That means there's, there was something there that says I'm not this way. Mm. That means there was something in you that said, wait a second, I'm not this way. I think that's, that's so critical. Okay. So that was more unconscious. Uh-huh that um, I wasn't conscious of it at the time, like you're saying that. And I say, yeah, of course, I, I knew there was something more. Yeah. But as a young boy, it was more survival to fit in. Okay, got it. So third, fourth grade, you're like, fuck you. This isn't who I am. You're getting it wrong. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. That was the motivation is like, I'm going to show you that, I'm, that I can do this. Yeah, I'm going to prove, prove you wrong. And how did you do that? You said you were going to get through the system. You're, you're, you're struggling with dyslexia some form of ADD and how do you, how do you do that? What's what, how does a young boy figure out how to game the system? So that's where, that's where the unconscious comes in. It's like that, you know, uh, by befriending the teacher and, and really, uh, getting them to like me, um, that, that there was, uh, some, uh, softness or they wanted to, you know, uh, they wanted to try and, uh, see me succeed, um, some of them. And so I would, uh, you know, get into the ones that would be a little bit on, on the spark of, wow, this kid might not be totally dumb. 
and, and work with, um, them in a, in a relationship of getting through the system. So you knew that if, if you were going to get where you wanted, that it was going to, you needed help and you needed to work this, you needed to build relationships essentially. I know this just wasn't very conscious at the time, but you realized that if you're going to do it, the teachers needed to be on your side to support you in that. Yes. Okay. The counselors or the, the people that were testing me, not necessarily wouldn't, you know, they're, they're, uh, saying, well, he's dumb. And then, you know, uh, Mr. O'Brien in fourth grade said, you know, I, I see a spark in him and I hear what you're saying. And so me being with Mr. O'Brien, he gave me that glimpse that um, I could get through this. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how did that work? How did working with other teachers, were they giving you a break on things or were they just spending more time with you? How did how did that look? So I'm going to say both that, um, in the, in before, uh, um, junior high and high school, um, it would be the, um, them supporting me. And then in, in high school, I started to like manipulate or be, um, befriend like, um, teachers aides. And, um, this is the one I don't want you to know if I'd have a teacher's aide fill out all my grades or all my scores in history and I wouldn't write a paper, hmm. you know? So by, uh, figuring out how to get, um, the things that I needed to get through it would be how I made it happen. Huh. And I'm imagining this starts to shape the worldview of a young man, which is that rules aren't necessarily what we, what we're taught that there's a game here, that there's a system here and that if I can learn how to manipulate the system, I can get what I want. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It is a game. Uh-huh. And I also get that there wasn't a part of you, well, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that there wasn't a part of you that was malicious in this. This was necessary that you knew if I'm going to get through this and I'm going to succeed in the world, I've got to learn how to play this game because cards are stacked against me, at least with this dyslexia, ADD kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, exactly. I can roll over and die or I can, you know, and, and give up or I can figure out how to make this work to my advantage. Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the two key things is always look good and do your best to never look bad. And that was the game. Always look good. What do you mean? What, I, I don't want to pretend that I know what that means. Yeah, yeah, no. And so in, in like the teacher's eyes or the school system, by having a B average, it, I didn't look bad. What was at risk if you looked? Because I, know, I know there were kids in school that didn't want to make a grade because looking good meant not being one of the smart kids. So help me understand what looking good meant to you though. As you're saying that, so again, unconsciously, it was so that I would prove them wrong. Okay. Looking good meant, Hey, I do. I am smart and you're wrong. Yeah. Oh, yes. As you say, as we're talking about this right now, trip, it's like, again, it it was very unconscious in doing it. And you know, it's bringing your, uh, poking at it to bring the consciousness to it. It's very interesting, you know? Yeah. Because I remember, I know for me, like looking good at, at that time, that was really important. Then it was also like not standing out. I didn't want to get picked on. Um, it didn't have to do necessarily with grades. So my motivation was different. It was more about fitting in. And for years, mm-hmm. what I'm getting about yours is like, I got to make sure I look smart. I got to prove these people wrong. I am smart. I'm going to show you. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you were smart? Did did work in this system actually have you feel like you were smart or did it just have you feel like you were playing the game better i think it was that i was playing the game better 
because I still couldn't read like all the rest of the kids, uh-huh. you know, or I couldn't I'd flip around my numbers and letters and spelt horribly. You still had a doubt that you yeah. were, that you were, am I really smart? I know I'm, I'm doing the game here, but I'm not sure if I'm actually smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how'd you do in school? How'd you graduate? What'd you end up with? Uh, 3.5 grade point average. <laughs> you know, got through all, all four years of high school and I did it. Did you, gra- when you, did you graduate, did you walk across the stage with a cap and gown? Oh, hell yeah. And did you flip birds to everybody or what was your, what was your thing? <laughs> <laughs> No, I just wanted to get, get the fuck out of there. Okay. You know, it was like, show, do, do the thing. And, and then, um, literally by, uh, the third day after high school, I went, um, to Wyoming to a, a trade school to build build custom cars. What was different for you there? This was a different kind of school. This was a trade school. It wasn't so much about kind of retaining information and, you know, proving that. I don't know, were you still in that thing where you were proving you were smart or did you have a different game at this time? Um, I had a different game at the time being the, um, um, at a 15 when I uh, bought my first car uh, or truck, um, I um, started customizing it and um, um, tricking it out, pimping the ride. And by 18, um, it was uh, in in uh, truck and magazine and already been in a, won a bunch of car shows. And mm. so my physical, when I'm working with my hands and, and doing that, it really was like, you know, I knew I, I had some, I was stimulated by it because um, it was uh, tactile, you know? Uh-huh. And so going to Wyoming to the trade school, it was all hands-on. Okay. And so what was it like there? Did you feel confident? Like you were in your element? I know cars. I know trucks. I know how to do things with my hands. Did you feel that confidence there? Yes, very much so. I was, uh, yeah, I I excelled uh, at very, very high rates. Okay. Top of the class for that and went on to, that's when the the business started with um, building custom cars. Okay. Was the dumb thing still in there, or did or did this new experience start to kind of tamper that? No, the the dumb thing is always uh, kind of. I'm going to say the not good enough uh, thing was always there, okay. and um, that it was still that um, after after a high school, you were supposed to go to either a college or something else to create a career, and so um, there was the fuck you, I can do this and. Uh, get through that that part of it, um, and um, it was it was still going off, but I wasn't li- listening to it as much, you know. Okay, so it was still this comparison about I, this is who I am versus where I should be, and when you played that comparison, it seems like that's where this I'm not good enough and I'm not measuring up comes from. But if we just left you alone and let you go do your thing working on trucks mm-hmm. that you were excelling there. You were fine. Yes. Okay. I think that's a, that's a big thing. I, I don't, I, I don't know how many people I talk to that. And this is true for me too. It's just like when I start to compare myself to others as if there's a, a real way to compare, it's like, that's where the not good enough stuff comes from. And I feel that toxicity and that shit come up instead of just kind of owning my game. Um, this is yeah. me. This is my game. It's what I do. Yeah. It's, it was uh, pretty, um, you know, predominant um through my career even as an or as moving into being an entrepreneur um that i wasn't just owning me i was in that that constant conflict and 
I'm creating from that place. Creating from this comparison, not enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not good enough. Ugh. All right, so you're. Uh, I say ugh because I I do that. You know, it's like ugh, I, you know. I don't know if there's. I don't know if, if it, there's any immunity to that if we're unconscious. That's all. Um, all right. So you started the business. What 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 was the business? So um, what's um, so I went to to the trade school and um, one of the um, uh, talents that I um, started to um, uh, play with was uh, tinting windows and cars. And um, and creating an art out of tinting windows, and so I opened an, an automotive tinting shop. How old were you? Um, I was eighteen. Wow. Okay. Cool. Eighteen years old. Start your own. This is the kid that's. I'm <laughs> just like this is a cool picture here. All right. Eighteen years old. Start your mm-hmm. own your own business here. Uh, and how to do? Well, that took me, um, you know, on a twenty twenty year journey with that that business, and opened up. Um, you know, five other businesses, um, some uh, similar to that uh, contracting business um, in California and op- uh, opened one in Hawaii with my brother, um, took the automotive to having uh, 10 d- different divisions and um, and 10 employees and um, was working on all the top end Ferraris, Aston Martins, Maseratis, um, Lamborghinis and tricking them out. Hmm. So, and I became the the guy in um, Marin County um, as the high end expert in um, exotic car building and aftermarket products. And how's that? Like, give me an idea of what your mindset is like through that period when you're when people are bringing the the, the most beautiful cars on the planet to you to work with. Um, yeah, just like, did you were you finding peace of mind there? Was that enjoyable? It it was for the first ten years that um, it, it was it was very fun and I was enamored by the you know to to you know have uh, to be driving fifteen Ferraris a month or um, you know being in these best cars I was enamored by it um, and then by year ten um, it was like uh, it's it's not doing it for me it's not it's not you know I'm not enamored by it it's like this is work now. They don't have any appeal to me at all. Okay. Year 10 would be what? 28, 30 you're talking about that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Right around 28. And you're doing Mm -hmm. well financially. Is that right? I mean, how well are you doing at this point? Um, combined they're all, you know, doing well over a million dollars. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, it's, um, about that time is when I was, I, I thought, well, if I hired a coach, that that would uh, bring back that spark again. Okay, so you hired a business coach to help bring back the spark. Uh, I want to enjoy my job, and so I'm gonna. I, I must need a coach. That coach is gonna help me with that. Yeah, yeah. The, the coach that I hired was all about performance. So as long again, then it clicked me back into looking good for him, and never you know br- brought me back to the old of working. Uh, if I it worked hard, showed him good numbers, that he would like me. And uh, I could prove to him that I am good enough. So you had some kind of transference onto him that that started when you were a kid. Like you were performing for your coach instead of for you. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. I was doing more more for me in the first ten years. Um, I always like the first ten years. It was like I was retired, um, being that 
You know, I lived on the water. I had the boat. I had the cars. I had a couple employees. I didn't have to put in the 60 to 80 hours a week. And when, when, uh, I hired Chuck, it was like, it, it all started to bring in the, take away the, um, the life of a, that I can live and, and, um, be looking good to him. So then I started working 60 to 80 hours a week, you know, creating a 6,000 square foot facility and hiring more and more people. The numbers went up, but I was miserable. Did, yeah. I mean, at what point did you realize this wasn't, how long did it take you to be like, wait a second, I think I just got on the wrong train here. It took, um, I would say about six, six years, six years. Yep. I was, I was just, cause the numbers were going up really fast and I was, I was being, um, like all, all the people around me were like, Ooh, look at him. You know, mm. look at what he's, I looked really good. Right. But deep inside of me, I was just being eaten up cause my that essence was being stuck. So you go from this place where things are pretty good, you were doing things for yourself, you're losing the spark, you hire a coach, and then the recipe becomes more. I must need more. I don't have enough of what, I, what what's happening here. But underneath that, it wasn't just the stuff. It was um, the acknowledgement, the validation that came with it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the validation, you know, that I was uh, good enough. And were you conscious of it, but still kind of doing it? Because we we get our shtick. Like I, I, we can have our shtick. Like yeah, I kind of have this thing that I do, but I still do it anyway. It's like I know I shouldn't eat junk food, but I still eat junk food. Like, did you have an idea that you were on this train of validation and needing to be good enough, but you were still doing it anyway, or were you un- still unconscious to it? I was more conscious of it. So being conscious of it created the, um, the yuckiness in my body that I was. It wasn't in, in alignment with. Uh, me like the inside of me versus what I've created, what I say from my ego to look mm-hmm. good. So the knowing was just it just felt like shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know now. And here, the example I, I want to give is like I'm wearing a mask of being an entrepreneur in a certain way, and now I've lifted it off and I see it, and then I put it back on. Yep. And I keep operating from that place. Yeah, yeah. I, st- I keep doing it even though I know. Something's off. I found like that's when I've been in that place that that's more miserable than kind of the not knowing beforehand, at least before I was just heads down doing the same shit. But now knowing, oh, I'm doing this thing and this is what's make, it's my choice. I guess there's a responsibility there that makes it uh, sting. Knowing I, knowing I can make mm-hmm, a better yeah. choice. So when I wake up in the morning, it's not the, the fire. It's the, what the fuck am I doing? Right. So then what happened? You did this for what, six years? You, you stayed on the more train, bigger, better, faster kind of thing. And then what? In 2005, um, my, uh, my parents, um, moved to Hawaii with my brother and, um, and they were, they were living within 20 minutes of me and they're, they are my best friends. And that, um, um, there was a, um, a piece of me that was like ripped, ripped away from me. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just recently gotten married and, um, 
and we were talking about having kids and it was really feeling lonely and empty. Like there was, it got really bad. Um, I was drinking a lot, smoking, um, you know, ibuprofen. I was a competitive athlete in wakeboarding too. So uh, my body was falling apart. I wasn't taking care of my body. I was getting injured all the time. It got really, really bad. Family leaves, and then it sounds like you just you're disconnecting from kind of your own inner authority, your own inner wisdom. Your body's falling apart. Things are not working, and you're not you're not picking up the phone. You're not getting the message that something's off here. You haven't picked it up yet. Right after six months of them being gone, it was it was like. There has, I have to change something. Hmm. So I talked to, talked to my wife and said, would you consider to relocate to Hawaii um, and, and make that shift uh, to be closer to my parents and, um, and raise children in Hawaii? And um, she was totally behind it and was like, yeah, let's do it. You can, you know, I ran um, and mentored um, the business in Hawaii um, while I was living in California and I said, well, I'll just do it the other direction. I'll live in Hawaii and manage my businesses over there while they're running in California. And how long of a transition from this time when you talk to your wife, you know, when you get you and your wife decide to move to, to Hawaii, how long of a time were you guys talking about? How long did it take you to make that transition? So we made a two year plan and um, in two years and three months, we bought our second house over there and had the, my first house all uh, rented and we're standing in the living room of our brand new house. So two years and three months, you know, there, there was a step in there, you know, that was like really, um, you know, working with my coach on it and um, working with my employees and setting the, the whole setup of that me uh, transitioning over there. Right. So it wasn't just some kind of blind pull the ripcord, I'm out of here. I've, I'm going to give myself two years to make this transition so it can work. Yeah, that, okay. was, a, that, that was the initial, um, the less um, cutting the cord. Okay. You know, it's, it's, still, it's still rocked uh, a lot of my employees of, that because I was there um, doing the 60 to 80 hours a week, and sometimes I even ramped it up more over the two years that um, – there was, uh, uh, you know, it, it stirred things up. You know, it wasn't, um, I thought it was all good, but there was an underlying resentment in the employees, you know? Like you're abandoning us or you're not going to be here or you're not going to be a part of it? Mm-hmm. Yep. I can imagine that. I, 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 uh, I had a similar situation. I left, you know, basically ran my, my first company um, from Colorado and it was in Florida. And I remember, you know, it's never quite the same once you're not there anymore. So, yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. So, two years, three months later, you're you're standing in your new place in Hawaii. Then what? To me, I'm living living the dream, you know. And I thought that I'd be able to cut back on um, the amount of time that I work, but yet it um, it kicked it. It even brought it where I was even more on the phone and. Um, more time away and I created another business in Hawaii and um, was like um, that I, I still was in the more, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And, and um, now my, my first born 
um, Sage is now um, came into the world, and you know I'm, I'm getting to be with him, but yet I'm having to leave him and um, go be in California. And um, that went on for about a year, year and a half. And uh, the the time when um, he was old enough to talk, and we were sitting on the bed, and he's crying and saying, "Daddy, don't don't leave," you know. And this was a time when I was actually going away for just about almost a month. Mm. Um, and uh, it uh, it crushed me, Trip. I cried all the way to the airport, and um, that was like that again. Uh, um, a wake up for myself of my, my spirit saying, uh, it's, it's, it's time to uh, stop, uh, traveling and doing that to really stay home and uh, be with my kid. And, uh, so I went, so I went back to California and I, um, told my business partner and, um, employees that, um, I offered if they wanted to take over the businesses or, um, I was going to shut them down. And they, they all, um, were like this to them, it was too big for them to own. So I said, I'm going to shut it down and I'll support you in, in doing whatever you want to do. This was on the same trip. You, you go to the airport, you get on a plane, you land in California and, and that's the next, that's the conversations that start is that I'm going to, I'm shutting it down. Um, the, the, it was the first, the conversation was, would you take it over? Okay. Got it. It's, I first went that route and yeah. then it was, um, you know, seeing that they weren't in a place to hold that, uh, the, the companies that where they were at, um, it was like, okay, the, the option is then I'm going to shut them down. Okay. And you had a handful of businesses, you're doing seven, you're bringing in seven figures plus a year and now it's time to just lock the doors. Does that make sense? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, who does that? You know, I mean, really, it, it was like my mind was going crazy of, you know, to hold on to this with all my, like, just gritted it in, and and I just kept holding that vision of my son, you know, and oh, I mean, right now I can feel that, and it's like I can go right there, chicken skin, where it's like, um, nothing, nothing is going to stop this train, you know. Ooh, it, it was the pivotal turning point. So the next six months then uh, was the process of uh, locking the doors. Over there, it was a, a dojo, uh, a, a judo. Um, I teach judo um, to kids and then also, um, you know, the contracting business and the auto, uh, auto spa. Okay. So a variety of businesses all shutting down. Um imagine this is an identity, you know, as guys, we really identify with being, you know, whatever we do professionally. And then there's the certainty that comes in from having the money, their status of owning all this stuff. There's a big, uh, is there's a big looking good thing here. Like, did, what were you up against there? Yeah, it was, it was, it was tremendous. I mean, that, um, you know, it was image ego, um, you know, people saw me in a certain way. Um, and it, I, I had created the system that I could look good and, and, and not, um, you know, uh, and, and be good enough. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I had it, I had the system to, to have that where everybody was in awe of what I've created. So yeah. I looked good. You looked good. And now you were turning at the round, at least your body was telling you you were out of line. And now you, you're getting this message from your son. He wants you around more, obviously. Um, it sounds like that was just the, the thing that pushed you over and said, okay, it's time to switch gears. Was Why didn't you sell? I'm just curious. Like, why didn't you sell? I don't know. There was a chapter. I just wanted it done. I didn't want to go through the the process of, I think, um, my, um, accountant was like, you know, yeah, let's take a year and set it up for that. Or mm-hmm. let's take two years and set it up for that. And I was like, no, this needs to happen now. Hmm. For me, the whatever it takes in that moment was to be with my son and raise a son with that had a father that was present. Hmm. That I, I was doing whatever it took to make that happen. Okay. As fast as possible. Yeah, so that took selling them off the table, so locking the doors was the option. That I, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, you locked the doors. Now you're back in Hawaii full-time, is that right? Yeah, so now I'm back in Hawaii full-time. I'm getting to be with my kid. I have, um, I'm doing uh, business coaching, and um, and then I still have a contracting business at the same time. And as the as the um, um, the coaching business um, is growing, I needed to have a, another income coming in. So I still kept um, being a um, commercial and residential window tinner as a source of income as I grew my. Um, coaching and consulting practice. Uh-huh. Was there any doubt at time? Was there ever, ever a point of like, what the hell did I do? Am I, am I on the right track? Or did you feel, even though it was, it was difficult, it was challenging. You had, it, you felt like the right thing. Like, what was that like at that time? It, um, things, let's see, things were not moving how I thought they should be as fast as they should be moving. <laughs> right. So I felt, uh, desperate. What the fuck, you know? I mean, I just thought, what, what have I done? You know, yeah. um, and you know, this, um, the contracting business, I was like, you know what, um, I'm going to just focus on tinting or, I mean, just focus on coaching and, um, you know, dive into the coaching practice and here, you know, having 10 clients and, and still the business model that I had, I was, was not able to, you know, uh, create my lifestyle the way that I, I, I wanted it or um, thought it should be. Yeah. And so I said, I'll dive full into the coach coaching. And then I shut down the, the other business of um, the, the other commercial and residential tinting in Hawaii. And now I'm like, my savings is going really fast. And my um, income isn't going up as fast as I want it to. So I'm in this, oh, shit uh, time where it was like this franticness of survival. And uh, that's, when I, that's when I really had to uh, take a look in, inside myself and um, say that I'm going to continue to focus on this path of uh, coaching and consulting and I'm going to have to go, you know, do other things, um, whether it's, you know, helping, helping friends in construction to, um, maybe cleaning a house to mowing a lawn to doing whatever it takes to continually to support my family. You know, now here, um, Bodhi, my second son has come into the world 
and I'm trying to balance uh, uh, keeping food on the table, running a coaching practice, and being a husband. You you shut the doors on these companies. You you decide you're going to be a coach, and in the process, you know, draining your savings. Um, you got to go out there. You banging nails like in, in sweeping floors and in and mowing lawns to do to to cover expenses in the meantime. Is that what you're saying? Um. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was some months I had to do that, man. If your motivation before was I got to look good and, and that status thing, was that, what was, what do you think was driving you during this time? Um, we can still do whatever it takes, but it can come from different places. So are, are you, have you thought about that much? Like what was driving you so hard to become a coach at that time? Yeah. Um, the, that was, uh, that I wanted to spend as much time with my two kids and my, and my wife that I wanted to be there for them because the, you know, the, the, those first, um, years of my son's life, um, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it was, it was to be with them, you know, and to, to, to grow up with them. I had a family, um, uh, growing up where my parents did that, um, where they were there for me. Um, I had the, you know, parent people say, you know, oh yeah, the, my mom and dad would go off to work and I'd never see him or dad wasn't around. My mom and dad were always home, always around, did what it took to be there um, to watch us grow up. Hmm. It was important for you to line that up, that this was the type of father and husband you were going to be and you were going to do whatever it took to do that. And why coaching? Why why coaching of all things? When you when you'd started other businesses, it seems like I could imagine you know, from another place, like, well, I've already done this in California, I could bring something like this to Hawaii, but you not only just switched locations, you decided to switch careers. Um, why coaching? What was it in there for you? Um, so when, when I, when I had my first coach, man, the, um, what I was seeing happening, you know, um, through, you know, doubling, tripling, quadrupling numbers in, in the companies, it was, it blew, it blew me away. It was like, wow, look at, look at what happens when there's a coach. Mm -hmm. And, and so I started coaching in my business, my employees from more of a place of coaching. So I was really feeling the fulfillment in, uh, serving other people and watching them and, and being a part of them flourishing. You had an experience of this. You were, this was how you were managing and, and, your employees and, and supporting them and empowering them. And that's where you were finding fulfillment less so much in kind of running the business, but more so in this, the relationship you have with your employees. So it sounds like you were going to take the best of that experience and say, I'm going to just focus on this. This is what I want to build my, my career around. Yes. Yes. I also had, a uh, my mother is a, um, as a coach also. And so she was, uh, highly and in watching her and, and the lifestyle she was, uh, still, you know, living and working with was like, okay, I can, I, I get it now. I can see the, um, why she does what she does. And, um, I totally get, I mean, you know, she's, her, um, practice is set up for Tuesdays and Thursdays to work, you know? And I was like, okay, that, that allows a lot of free time. Right. And for you, did you, did you, were you gravitating towards more of this kind of performance style where it's just about the numbers and we don't talk about whether it's fulfilling or not, or, or did you learn any lessons from that experience that you had with that coach earlier on? 
I'll say uh, at first it was all um, performance-based, not lifestyle or being a way of the place come from. Um, and then um, when I um, met my next coach, uh, it, then that was the switch uh, where um, it was it was all about lifestyle and um, uh, coming from and uh, creating from a place that is super or fully fulfilling. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine it's not fulfilling for me when people come to me and say they just want to make more money. I'm never, I'm never interested. I don't take those guys on. It's always like, what are we really doing to be, you know, to make more money for what? Like, what's the whole point of this? Um, and I was curious yeah. how, if you were aware of that, that impact of that relationship on your own life. I'm not saying all performance coaches are, you know, bad or wrong or whatever, but it just seems like it didn't mm-hmm. necessarily serve you completely, and you had that awareness. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the, the awareness was after I did all, you know, with a performance mm-hmm. base like that. And then, um, you know, uh, meet, meeting Rich and um, him uh, telling me, you know, yeah, that I, I'll, um, I'll just, I'll create another million dollar business. That sounds good. I'll do a million dollar coaching practice. And he basically, he said, well, that sounds boring. You know, it's like, what, what else, you know? And, and for me, I'd, uh, say that I, I've been looking for mission or, uh, feeling the calling for what, what is, what is bigger than me or, um, what is my purpose on this planet? And, um, I didn't have that for, um, you know, all my life. And he was challenging the heck out of me, um, and saying, what is it? It's not the money. What is it? And um, to be open, even though I didn't know what it was, that I was open to, to exploring what it was, um, really, uh, started to bring on, um, what my mission work is now. Yeah. And it took about a year where that came, came out and came alive. Let's go there. What is the mission now? It, it initially started with, um, creating a school for dyslexic ADD and OCD kids. And, um, it, um, you know, it came from a place inside of me that was one of, uh, one of my deepest wounds, um, that, um, I was going to, I'm taking a stand for that not to happen to kids anymore. Mm. And so, um, I could feel, I can feel it right now. I'm like, I, I get a lot of energy around it. it. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, what's, what lights a fire inside yourself. And, um, you know, like I, I would equate fire as something that creates energy in my body that, um, has me step up and, and be, uh, like, uh, a man that is on mission. Mm-hmm. And, um, so as I started to speak it and put it out into the world that I started to, um, talk to people from all around the world that are creating schools and, um, working on changing the way education is done. Mm. And so it was just like this fire is just continually building in me. And, um, I, I really got that, um, you know, coming from the place of a man that is influencing education is, is really lights me up inside. Yeah. You know, I, I hear this thing, this, this idea of purpose comes up a lot and, um, 
guys will tell me they don't know their purpose, but we're always living a purpose right now. And for a long time, it sounds like your purpose was to look good. That's what we've talked about, right? As you go through, as you Mm -hmm. went through your day, you were, there was choices. This is going to make me look good or not. And I think we're all doing some version. This is going to make me look good. Is this going to keep me safe? Is this going to keep me comfortable? Is this going to whatever, right? Like we, but we're always living into some very simple purpose throughout our days. And then as we get older, or more conscious, whatever you want to say, like more uh, more aware, we start to ask better questions. You know, we, we can start to challenge more of that kind of superficial purpose and get in mm-hmm. touch with who we really are. And and then it becomes more about like, what do I really want? What am I really here to experience? What am I here to share? What am I here to give? And and what I've found, and correct me if, if you know, or, or yeah, correct mm-hmm. me if you think I'm wrong here, but... We end up that our our purpose becomes about like helping a version of ourselves, whether it was five minutes ago or five decades ago, where we have the most juice is trying to help that guy, trying to help ourselves. What was the school that I wish was around uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid? What what's the thing that I wish that I had? And and that's where we can find that fire. Um, and it's hard to find that fire if we can't relate to. It. We can't put ourselves in that position and say that's what I wish I had. And and so I, as I, you know, I'm thinking about the guy that's listening right now that, that's kind of lost or thinking he's lost, that chances are he wants to deeper down, he's going to end up doing something where he's going to find his fires. He's going to end up doing something that would have really helped him. Like I said, five minutes ago or five decades ago, um, yep. there's some version of that in there where he's going to find his fire because he can really relate to that person. Um, and that's what he mm-hmm. wished that he had. Does that jive with you? No, oh, man, that's very well said, yes. And I'm the example of that, right? Being dyslexic and being in, in the school system and saying that's never going to happen again. Right, right. And it's just such a big, like, let's zoom out, right? Because if you look at the question, at first it was, what do I do to make sure I look good? And then it's, and then it's a different question that we're living into now, which is, or for you, it's some version of what, what can I do that would have helped me? Different. Mm-hmm. Those are different. And I don't think the ego stuff ever goes away. I don't want to, my ego stuff is on fucking deck all day long and right? yep and yep. but it's just recognizing okay thanks i see you i recognize you and what's the deeper thing what's the thing that's going to give me more fulfillment because you got a chance to live from that more superficial purpose throughout your life and you realize that didn't really give you the fulfillment you were looking for but here when you when you tap into that deeper thing this is where we find that fire as you said you're feeling it in your body yeah and you know um as you're you're saying that you know it's like um, the businesses were uh, would be created from the ego. My first out of out of school and and not looking bad is 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 from my my ego and saying this is how it's done. And as I get in touch, like you were saying, in uh, with the fire or your body, that gut instinct that is inside of you, that little voice that you you hear every once in a while, that that I. I I pay attention to that so that I'm not always, um, I'll, I'll watch listening to the, the not good enough or I have to look good, but that doesn't mean that I have to create or come from that place anymore. Right. It's there. It's always going to be there. That stuff's always going to be there. Yes. But I don't have to let it All, be every, the guy. Every day. Yeah. I don't have to let yes. it be the chairman of the board, the guy who decides what happens. And I think that's what happens for most of our lives if if we're not conscious is that that ego, and I think it's you know kind of fear scarcity based, 
it can drive the car your your entire life and it doesn't need to mm-hmm. it can just be a voice it can just be a guy that gets a vote you know it's usually it's the guy in the back right seat that's bitching at me <laughs> come on man right. do something yeah. that makes us look good or uh you know whatever the, the ego stuff yeah mm-hmm. and then so then now being that you know, um i'm aware of that um taking place that i can actually use the um the the fear or feeling fear that my ego actually creates so that I stay safe and that I don't actually move forward into something that um, may be from that place of mission or that my gut instinct is telling me I need to do mm. that um, it um, I can I can come from that place more often yeah I think it's so powerful to understand these motivations that's why I wanted to that's why I've been asking you these questions throughout is because I've, I've, ex- I've, I've known you long enough and known enough of your story to kind of understand that, that your life has shifted because you've been shifting more from, of your motivations, more of your come from. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not so much about the doing, right? A, a guy out there might find that his mission is to go create a business. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be egoic. It might be uh, tied to that sense of mission that he's got here. So it's not so much the what we're creating it's the where we're coming from and it's essential to yes. to have people in our lives that can help us kind of figure out what that is and and uh challenge us and support us when uh when we're having yeah. that conversation yeah i mean for, you know trip you've been a huge support to me over the last two years in that uh journey as i've i've really leaned into this uh mission and even into the coaching practice where um it it does bring a lot of fear in, up in the body you know and so to have a support um, team, uh, coach, um, uh, community of people that can really, um, uh, be, um, there for me has been critical in, in creating another company, coaching practice and consulting practice to, uh, you know, and being on mission and being in relationship with my family and even taking care of my body. Yeah. Bottom line, it, it helps to have people around us to keep our head out of our ass. Bottom line, yes, because I put my head in my ass a lot. It seems, and it's like, uh, <laughs> pull it out, man. Pull it out. You know, sometimes you got to whack me around, but uh, it works. Yeah, and so give us an idea of where you are now. You're two years into this mission. What's happening for you now? So, <clears throat> in putting it out there to the world, I've now uh, met Dr. Layla who has been working on a school project um, that um, has really just uh, brought me um, in alignment with what I'm uh, creating and he's 30 years into it. And so um, it's, it's one of the biggest projects that I've ever had and uh, been a part of. Um, we're right now um, we're raising $542 million for a school uh, campus for kids on the big island of Hawaii that is going to change and be a model for the way education is done today. Wow. And so, um, um, you know, that, <clears throat> that's where I'm at right now is I'm, I'm looking and creating funding for that project. So right now you're in the process of raising $542 million for this campus to be built on the big island of Hawaii. And is it just about fundraising right now? Is that what the big challenge is? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I would say that that would be the, that's, well, that's exactly where we at. We have the land, we have the business, we have everything in place and the funding is, 
where we're, we're at right now. And, you know, we're talking to people that are um, saying they're interested, but it's, it's not confirmed yet. So I am looking for that. Yes. And so if a guy's out there listening right now and he wants to support, he wants to, to help you raise funds or he wants to bring, write a check to you, what's, is there, what's the best way to do that? Contact me uh, either through, through email or uh, a phone call um, would be fantastic, and I'd love to have a conversation with them. Okay. So as part of your coaching practice, part of the way that you integrate all of this work together, you're putting together a retreat in Hawaii. You're calling it the Limitless Success Adventure. Is that right? Yes. Okay, tell us, tell us a bit about it. So um, the Limitless Success Adventure is uh, going to be held in uh, Hawaii at the Hapuna Prince Hotel. And, um, you know, this... Um, When's that? When's this, that happening? Um, um, October 6th through the 9th, coming up uh, at, in the beginning of October. Okay. You know, and this is, this is for people, um, entrepreneurs um, and... Um, you know, business uh, men and women that, you know, they're successful in what they've done, but um, yet something's off. They know there is something more kind of very similar to what we've been talking about before my mission came in, what that, what that would be, you know, um, you want to, uh, the workshop is for, if you want a deeper connection with yourself, um, not only with other people, but um, also with your, you know, your, uh, your gut instinct and um, going through experiences that um, really are going to activate and, and um, be able to separate those, um, those areas from the ego to your gut instinct to what your heart really uh, wants and desires. Got it. And I, again, it sounds like what's the, what's the retreat that would have served you several years ago when you were on a path? It sounds like this is what you're creating here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is what um, as as an entrepreneur myself, this is what I'd say. You know, this is what I wish I had back in you know nineteen eighty eight. Wow. Okay, <laughs> it's a while back. And so, how do we? If the, if if someone's listening right now and they're interested in this, what's the? How do they find more information about it? Yeah. So uh, TonyBenici dot com um, is the the um my website and there's a link right on there they can click on that'll take them right to it okay and we'll have the link uh in the show notes here tonybonici.com um very cool. excellent thank you tony bonici uh thanks so much for coming on sharing your story today uh pulling your head out of your ass long enough to have this conversation <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being my support in that. Uh, well, uh, you know, you're my support in that too. You, you're the guy that calls yeah. me. Uh, I get these phone calls, and I know, uh, I know, I'm not going to get away with a whole lot if I'm talking to you. So, um, I love the role that you play in my life. That you support me. You also challenge me, uh, and you love me up big time. You, you, you're a great model for what it means to be a powerful guy with a big heart. And uh, I know you know how to get shit done. I know you know how to execute, execute, and perform in the world. But there's not a lot of guys like you that can do it with a big heart and uh, have it line up for the right reasons. So I appreciate what you're doing, man. And uh, I'm excited to see you uh, create this school. Thank you, Trip. Thank you. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.